Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover the personal journeys behind their work. Explore options from indie to traditional publishing and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. I'm your host, Katherine Taylor. Let's Get Writing is all about the writing process from creation to publication. Here is where you can find inspiration, ideas, and meet the people behind the stories. We bring life to books. Now, for those of you watching live, if you have a question, you can put that in the comments or the chat on this page, and we will do our best to answer them. Now, my guest today, an accomplished author, speaker, and facilitator. She is passionate about creating excellent communication, something which we have in common for sure. During her career, going back as far as supporting herself through university, and that's something we don't have in common. <laughs> oh, Daddy, thank you. Um, but she has always relied on effective conversations to make things happen. As a receptionist, a manager, a journalist, a salesperson, a researcher, and an entrepreneur. And now, as my guest, based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, welcome Mary Jane, Jane Copps to Let's Get Writing. And Mary Jane, I'm just going to bring you right up here on the screen. There you are. Hi. Hi. It's so great to be here with you. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Yeah. Technology is a pleasure. It's really a pleasure, Mary Jane. And I'm especially excited to have you because of our common interest in communication. So that's what I worked in in my career. And obviously you have too in a little different way than I did. But uh, you have a, a book and I have a copy of it here, which I really enjoyed reading, the phone the phone book. <laughs> so I just want to, uh, well, I want to open this, see we're all about books. I wanted to ask you um, to tell me a little about, about the book and uh, where its name came from. Well, I think it started out as kind of a joke. Um, when I was working on the title with the publisher, I said, do you suppose it's possible I can call it the phone book? And he said, yeah, of course you can. So, I mean, it's just for fun, right? To call mm -hmm. it the phone book. Yeah. But it, it really is what it is. It's all about um, telephone communication skills. And I thought that was sort of fun because the phone book at one time in our lives was an essential tool. And now exactly. really Google. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely. So how did it come about um, that you wrote this book? Well, um, I've been the phone lady since 2006. And as the company grew, I realized that there were many, many people that were struggling with phone phobia. They were actually fearful of talking on the phone. 
And that was not something that had ever occurred to me because the phone was such a big part of not only my work life, but my growing up life. And um, that was the main motivation that for people that have fear and anxiety around the phone, that there should be something really simple available to them that could help them with that. Interesting. So in your line of work, would you actually encounter people who were hesitant to pick up the phone and call? Oh, definitely. So phone phobia existed long before I became the phone lady. It is an actual phobia. Um, But as we have, um, you know, the Blackberry showed up in our lives, I think it's over, I'll say over 15 years ago, but I don't have the exact date in my head at the moment. So we have been talking with our thumbs for quite a long time. And when we do that, we have time to think. So if I send you a text or an email, you can think about your answer. You can edit your answer. You don't have to improvise. And so as younger people have walked around with their cell phones, the idea of having to improvise a conversation has become a tremendous anxiety. Very interesting. And I had no idea, maybe because I'm not in that generation. You know, I'm, I'm that generation that we grew up with the phone and that was what we had. Whereas now I do find when I encounter, well, even my kids, but they're pretty verbal too. Um, but, you know, when I encounter some, you know, some younger people, they have a tendency to text more than they would actually call. And, and, and you lose so much in that. You just lose so much. Yeah, tone of voice is really a crucial part of communication. As you know, Um, we can say things so many different ways. And also, you know, when I give a workshop, I'll say to people, well, how many of you have ever misinterpreted an email or a text? Everybody. And I'll also ask how many of you have sent an email or a text that's been misinterpreted? Um, So we write with a tone of voice in our head and we read with a tone of voice in our head. And if those two things don't match, we have miscommunication instantly. Mm -hmm. And as you ask, I have been one of those people as well where I have read a message and totally misinterpreted the intention of the message. And then later when I've, I've gone back, And I've looked at it and I thought, you know, that wasn't what they were saying at all. They weren't upset with me or they weren't complaining about anything. They were actually expressing their thoughts and it was how I interpreted it. And I've had that happen on emails that I've sent where people maybe have thought that I was upset. And, you know, and it just grows from there. When if I had just picked up the phone, wouldn't have happened. Exactly. Exactly. So the more, I guess, we become dependent on technology, the more we remove ourselves a little from the actual interface and equation with people. And so how does your book help people deal with this type of thing? Well, you know, the the initial focus was this phone fear, phone phobia. So the book does open talking about 
um, fear and how you can get over it. And I, I share my own biggest fear story um, so far, anyway, my own biggest mm -hmm. fear, which uh, was driving a car. And um, I had been involved in several car accidents as a passenger, as a child, and I really, really was terrified of driving a car. So I share the story of how long it took me to get a license and how I overcame that fear. And all fears can be overcome if you have the right skill and you take the time to practice. So that's where the book starts. And then it moves through all of the basic skills, how to answer a phone, how to deal with an upset client, how to get a conversation started with someone you don't know. All of those things are, are part of the book, how to create a good voicemail message. They're all in the book. In very, again, it's, it's an easy read. It's about two hours to read the whole thing cover to cover, I think. Um, and it's to serve as a basic guideline for sure. Yeah, and, and it is an easy read. I sat down and read it pretty much in one setting. But what added a bit of time was my thinking. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. It brought back um, experiences, experiences that I have had with the phone. At times, you know, when you know that someone's upset at you or you're, you're in a work setting and it's a client, you know they're not happy – before you even pick up the phone, there's an anxiety and, and you just, how am I going to deal with this? And over time, you find skills. And what you talked about in the book, like, for example, allowing the person to, to get their story out uh, without interruption and uh, using empathy to see their point of view, not to jump in all the time. Uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that, because that is something that a lot of people experience anxiety with, knowing that a call is going to be difficult. Yeah, so I think the most important thing about that is the understanding that when we're emotional, we can't hear. So when we interrupt someone, they don't hear what we're saying. They only experience the interruption. And the interruption tells them we aren't listening to them, that we don't believe they have anything of value to say. So that escalates the emotion that they're feeling. It doesn't help at all. And so our emotions are in a different part of our brain than our ability to be logic, logical or to think. And in order to work with someone to resolve an issue that they're emotional about you actually have to move them to the logical side of their brain otherwise uh, you won't have a, a conversation with a good resolution so certainly the words i'm sorry are a vital part i get a lot of pushback on this because people don't like to apologize if they haven't done anything wrong but I've spent a lot of time searching the English language for words that work as well as I'm sorry, and I haven't found them. And the example I give people is imagine that you are having, um, you're upset with someone close to you. So you are telling them why you're upset. 
And in the middle of that, they go, Catherine, I'm sorry. You can feel how that starts to de-escalate for you, your anger or dismay or upset. And from there, you can ask someone an open-ended question. So I might say, Catherine, I'm sorry. What can I do to make this up to you? So now you're going to have to think about your answer. And once I get you thinking, you're using your logical brain, you're going to be less emotional, and we stand a good chance of being able to have a, a good conversation. Well, it, it makes sense. Even just through your example, the minute you said that, Catherine, I, I'm sorry, I even felt my body just change at that. And we're not even having an argument or a fight. But, but you can feel the reset right away that someone is actually listening to you or, or concerned about what they're hearing from you. And it's yes. very powerful. And, and also, not necessarily do you have to be sorry for anything you did. You Maybe you can be sorry for the fact that they're going through this and what can you do to fix it. So I think I'm sorry is a pretty good choice. Yeah, it's, I'm sorry this is happening to you. I'm sorry you're having this experience. It's not about taking responsibility, especially in a corporate setting, because it may not be the company's fault. But the apology starts the de-escalation process. Right. And what other things do people find difficult? I mean, we've covered anxiety and controversial things. What, what are, what, like, do people have trouble leaving voicemail messages? Do they struggle with what to leave, how much to leave? How about a little insight on what we should be doing? Well, for sure. And things have certainly changed since I read that book. So that book was published in 2015. So six years ago. And, um, Things that I talk about at the end of the book about the future of phone communication because of our pandemic have happened quite quickly um, in terms of communicating a lot by video, not just phone. So there's some changes there. Mm -hmm. But when we're leaving a voicemail for somebody, the sole um, task of that voicemail is to inspire them to call you back not leave them so much information they can make a decision without you now where that's not the case is if you and I you know as you and I were planning this interview I could have phoned you and simply said you know Catherine I want to confirm that it's this date at this time and I'll see you there that's a valid voicemail message because you don't have to phone me back. I'm simply confirming something for you. But if I want you to call me back, if I leave too many details, you won't call me back. You'll just go ahead and make a decision without me. The other thing we want to do in the busy world that we live in is we want to make sure we're not creating phone tag. So when I phone you, I want to be very clear about when you can reach me. So I'm in, I'm available today until 2 p.m. And then to say, if we don't connect by 2 p.m., that's okay. I will follow up with you again 
tomorrow or early next week or whatever, so that the other person really feels that you're respecting their time. All of us have too much to do. It's, it's just the way of the world we've created. So we always want to be showing that respect for someone else's time. Yeah, absolutely. You have mentioned the overwhelm that many people feel in a business setting. And then now many times they're working from home. So not only are they in a business setting, they're still in a home setting and they're dealing with all the things that happen, you know, throughout the day in that environment. So, you know, it's a, it's a very challenging time yeah. for people for sure. Mary Jane, when you wrote the book, how, you know, how did that process go for you? How long did it take and how did you figure, figure out, you know, what well, you Well, I knew it? that I wanted it to be a guide for people that wanted to learn the basics of talking on the phone. I did know that right from the start. Um, I had an advantage because of my journalism background and my room background. So I... I was already familiar with the discipline necessary to sit down and get something written and um, that you have to sort of write a crappy first draft as opposed to waiting for perfection to hit the page, that that only happens after you edit and edit and edit. Um, but also I had the very good fortune of working with a great publisher, uh, Douglas Arthur Brown, who owns um, Bullandry Island Press in Cape Breton. And Douglas is also a well-published author. And um, he created a schedule for us. And so I can't remember how many, but I'll say three. I would write three chapters, send them to him, he would edit them. When he sent them back to me, my next three chapters were due. So we had a very specific schedule. And of course, like all human beings, I procrastinated from time to time. Um, but more or less, we stayed on schedule to get it done because you reserve printing time. So you don't want to miss that deadline. You are working towards a deadline to get the book printed. Absolutely. And I, and I think we all feel those deadlines if we're writing or even if it's for a book or for a magazine and uh, or an anthology, which you've also contributed to quite a few anthologies um, as well. And we do feel that. So the this would be a smaller a publisher, I'm assuming, based in Cape Breton. Most of them are smaller in the region. Yeah, very, very active. Um, Primarily um, wonderful works of fiction, wonderful um, biographies that they've done. Um, hi, Vicki Nee. Good to see you here. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Um, so very active and successful. And um, Douglas has a very deep, because he's also a published author, he has a really deep understanding of what it takes to and not only publish a book and write a book, but get it sold. So he is mm. a great resource in terms of the marketing itself, which I, I believe, and I shouldn't say this as if I know, because I don't know, but for many um, of the hybrid 
self-publishing spots, they may not be uh, as helpful in terms of the marketing. So I was able to do um, book readings all over Atlantic Canada, which was so fun and uh, get the book into uh, chapters, great. And uh, Douglas also helped get it set up on Amazon, great. And do all the ISBN numbers and the US tax papers, all of those things. He was extremely, extremely knowledgeable and helpful. And um, for some of his authors, he handles the Amazon sales. I chose to do my own simply because I wanted to know who was buying it and where they were from and uh, do some packaging myself when I put it in the mail. And this, you've, you've had actually five yeah. printings of your book. Yeah. I'm correct in saying that? Uh, it, it's done very so. well. And um, I'm pleased. It may, you know, some authors take their books with them when they are traveling and uh, promote them when they do uh, webinars, not well, webinars, but training for clients. I'm thinking more of the days when we did those in person. Um, and that hasn't been my approach. Um, most of my work is really customized, and I didn't feel comfortable then saying, Oh, and you can buy my book. Um, so it is uh, simply hundreds and hundreds of people that were searching for a book on communication and phone communication that have purchased it. It's quite astonishing. Well, but that tells you something, doesn't it? It tells you that people are looking for this. And I've often had that conversation. Where do we go for training if we want to train someone who's working for us in these skills? It's, it's not easily found. I was, I was delighted to find you. I was like, I have to have her on the show. But, but it's not that common, is it? No. Now, I've just recently um, been directed to a woman in the U.S. who is doing it, which is great because I do a lot of work in the U.S. myself, um, but I'm only one person. So I'm glad that other individuals are, are stepping up there and uh, providing the skill sets to people. It's really important. Mary Jane, something that just popped in into my mind when you said that and you talked about, you know, working in the States. One thing that I find that a lot of companies there do is they do these um, mystery shoppers or they monitor the phone calls of their staff. And then uh, these companies take the call and then they send it back and, uh, you know, rate, rate the staff, which is a really intimidating process for staff, you know, when they know, and they know, generally they know. If you're here in Newfoundland and that happens, I mean, the accent alone by who's on the phone, or it's pretty obvious. But what do you think about these kind of programs? Well, it's evolved um, tremendously. So... Uh, mystery shopping, I've done a bit of that for clients, but it wasn't my favorite thing to do. Um, recording calls has always been something that I advise companies to do um, so that you can hear both from sales point of view and a customer service point of view how your staff is representing your brand 
and where they may need additional training. If you, if you aren't listening, uh, we all develop bad habits, right? It doesn't matter if we've been doing customer service for 20 years, we can suddenly develop a habit in how we're speaking that impacts our conversations with our customers. So monitoring in some way what your phone communication is, I think is really, really vital. And uh, today it's so easy to record staff calls and share those audio files with me. So um, a lot of my clients, I obviously sign uh, non-disclosure agreements with them, but I will listen to their staff conversations before I create the training for them. But, well, it certainly makes sense. And they are, if you look at the structure of a company, the CEO or you know, the, at the top of the triangle there, they have very little chance to find out actually what's being said on a day-to-day -day basis with staff. So I, I can see where there'd be a huge interest in what you're doing. Yeah, and I, I think it's valuable. I think we neglect to step back and say, well, what's our customer's experience when they call? What, what do we tell them about ourselves the moment we answer the phone? Uh, are we creating loyalty? Are we creating trust? Or are we frustrating them? Or are we putting them in a position where they won't recommend us to other people? It starts right at the moment they, they phone us. Absolutely. And you know yourself, if you call a company and you feel like you've interrupted someone or they're not particularly pleased to hear from you, you can feel that. <laughs> you know, you can absolutely feel that. So we do communicate so much with our voices. And I'm sure that you could tell many stories about that. But, but maybe you could just share a little insight on how powerful our voices can be. Yeah, I mean, there's two things that we all know, but I think we all neglect, including myself. One, our tone of voice has a huge impact on the person we're speaking to. When we are tired and perhaps impatient, when we speak loudly, when we don't need to, when we're sarcastic, um, all of that impacts whether we have a good conversation with that person. But the other thing is our attitude, right? And certainly there are people in very, very challenging jobs where they are dealing with phone call after phone call that is difficult and emotional and so on. And you can build up uh, some impatience during the day or even resentment during the day. And that attitude then will get thrown at the next callers over and over and over again. So there's a couple of things you can do. The most simple, and I'm pretty sure you know this, Catherine, it's very old fashioned, um, but it's to simply do this. And to keep that on your face whenever you answer the phone, keep smiling because these muscles impact our tone of voice. 
And you can be having a bad day. You can be tired or cranky or any of those things. But if you're doing this, your customer doesn't know that. And for many, many years, probably over 20 years, I had a little mirror on my desk beside my phone to remind me that it was really important to do that. And if your job is tremendously stressful and you're dealing with a series of difficult calls, number one, make sure that you don't hang up the phone and share with everyone around mm. you because that just expands how upsetting it is. And when necessary, take a break if you can. And if you can't, ask your manager, is it possible for me to get up from my desk and have a five-minute break because these calls are really stressful? Um, again, do companies know that uh, we want, you know, if somebody's in a really tough position, they do need breaks from those calls so they can decompress and come back with a different attitude and a different tone of voice. Absolutely. And we know that ourselves if we're working intensely on a project, that little break, five, 10 minutes come back and your mind is just working better. It's, it's, it's so fascinating to talk to you. I mean, I particularly love this topic very, very much, how we communicate and get our messages across. And I've added to the screen your LinkedIn con contact, uh, Mary Jane Cobbs. And I'm just going to pop the, um, the web page up again. If anyone wants further information, this is how they can find you. And, um, and of course, hopefully they'll watch the show here and share it with their friends. Yes. So I want to thank you so much for taking time to come on and, and share some of your expertise with, with the viewers. Well, thank you, Catherine. Is our time up? It feels like it was only five oh. minutes. You know? <laughs> what it a great does, but yes. <laughs> Yeah, it does pass very quickly. But for anyone who's still here, we are going to be, be back. You're going to read an excerpt from the book. So it's only a temporary goodbye right now. And uh, I'll just thank everyone for joining us. And again, thank you, Mary Jane, very much. And we'll uh, see you in a few minutes. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode and share your ideas for future guests or topics. You can email us at letsgetwriting at katherinetaylor.ca. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. If you love this episode, share it with a friend. Until next time, believe in yourself and let's get writing.